Spotlight. You're listening to Spotlight on Broadway Radio. I'm your host, Jenna Tessa Fox. With us today is Tony nominee Xanthi Elbrick, who just finished a run of Charlie's Waiting by Melissa Annis with Parody Productions. Xanthi graduated with a master's in philosophy from the University of Edinburgh, where she was the director of the Edinburgh Footlights Theatre Company. She then trained at RADA in London and at the Actors Studio in New York City. She received a Tony and Drama Desk nomination for her Broadway debut in Quorum Boy in 2006 and received a Theatre World Award for her performance. She got another Drama Desk nomination for Canada in 2010. She's also appeared in several other off-Broadway plays, but several years ago retired from acting and became a professional photographer. Charlie's Waiting marked Xanthi's return to the stage after quite a few years away. So Xanthi, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. So before we get to Charlie's Waiting, I'd like to talk a bit about some of your earlier work and how you got started in acting. Sure. Um, uh, acting at, at school in England is more of a um, is more compulsory for kids um, until the age of sixteen, which means everybody kind of takes a stab at it anyway. Um, and I just caught the bug early. Really, I started doing it, you know, from the word go. I'd say age eight or so and um you know it just never let go and i wanted to study it at um university after school but they they don't make that possible you can't really take when i applied to, to university you couldn't get a bachelor's in theater so i went for a uh, in adverse commas legitimate uh degree as my <laughs> parents said um, and then after that, I was able to apply to drama school, which I did in London. And I applied to RADA and Lambda and Weber Douglas, Guildhall, all those other, other good schools, and ended up at RADA. So what and, was that? And then that was it. And yeah, what was your time at RADA like? It was wonderful. Um, I uh, it was very uh, text-based training, um, which. In retrospect, now that I've, I've trained both in the United States and in the UK, um, was very different from from what it is here in the States. What I then discovered at the Actors Studio, um, it was far more um, cerebral and, um, as I say, heavy on the text, which was great. But I had done a lot of that or uh, in in high school already, and so I wanted to get more into my gut. And I said to one of my teachers at the school, you know, at RADA, if I want to do that, if I want to, you know, find uh, the humanity of, of the character I want to play and, and feel that for myself, do you have any recommendations? He said, well, if you want to get into your gut, you should go to the United States and you should go to the actor's studio. And I took her very seriously and I left RADA and applied to the actor's studio and ended up there um, the same, you know, the following year. Um, and sure enough, we got into our gut. So what was that experience like? What was studying with the actor studio? Uh, what was that like? Well, it was perfect for someone uh, um, coming out of um, the UK because of that text, text-based training that we all um, rely so heavily on in, in England. Um, you know, it was based on Stanislavski's method, and um, which, as I understand, was you know, more in vogue in the United States when? In the 50s, 1950s, is that right? I think so, yeah. Yeah. 
um, and is is rarely taught at all in in England. And so it was a brand new um, idea to me, and really a really great combination and complementary, um, you know, with uh, what I what I already had from England. Um, it was just getting out of one's head, you know. And um, I was lucky, and I studied with some really brilliant teachers at the Actors Studio Plus visiting teachers, you know, like um, anyone who had who had also, you know, does use that that uh, technique, including people like Charlie Sound and and Russell Crowe and you know Al Pacino and 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 and, and our, our favorite alum you know, Bradley Cooper would come back all the time. And it was really fabulous to see how they were using the method and um, working a lot, you know, and very successful in their in their chosen parts, you know, of acting in this country. So you finished with the Actors Studio, and then what were your earliest professional acting years like? Um, pretty, pretty remarkable. Um, Unfortunately, just before I graduated from the actor's studio, my uh, father suffered a very severe stroke and lost the ability to walk and talk. And he had been my main champion, really, for the whole for the whole way so far, and, and was the one who encouraged me to go get my masters. He would always say, you know, if you can't, if you can't, uh, you can always fall back and teach if you have your masters. You know, if you don't get acting work. And I, and I used to argue and say, well, if I have a plan B, then I'm not serious about my plan A. So I don't know if I really want to do that. And he said, well, let's just give it a go. So I did I did go and um, and get that degree. And as I say, he had his stroke, and I had one semester left at the actor studio. And um, I came back for that semester and really wasn't very, very enthused about anything. I'd lost my spark when it came to acting because my father was, you know, in intensive care over in London. And uh, I finished up, and a, a fellow student said to me, "You know, you don't seem to be very into into the acting anymore." And I said, "No, I'm I'm, I'm not feeling it at the moment. I'm preferring being on the other side." And they said, "Well, is there anything you do like doing?" And I said, "Yeah, I like taking pictures." And um, he said, "Well, um, here's a check for twenty four hundred dollars." Go get yourself a real camera and uh, and you know give it a go and and you know this this was a, a more mature student in my class and he ran a company called Perseus Books at the time and you know a remarkable friend but I graduated and um, was signed pretty quickly by an agent from my showcase at school uh, Stone Manners and. At the same time, my father had come out to the United States to have rehab in Baltimore. And uh, my agent would uh, was starting to send me auditions. And I knew that I was really in no shape to go to these auditions because I was helping him go through rehab in Baltimore. And it was quite a sort of emotional time. And so I asked the agent for a grace period and said, you know, I know it's a lot to ask because uh, you just signed me, but perhaps you would consider giving me a month or so grace period because I'm looking after my father right now. And he said, absolutely fine. You know, that of course, uh, we'll, we'll speak with you in a month. And I got a call 
two days later from oh, now saying, no. <laughs> saying, I know you asked for a month, but um, there is this one audition that's come in, um, and you are perfect for it. And, of course, all I thought was that if I want to keep the agent, and agents aren't easy to get, so if I want to keep the agent, I've got to, I've got to go do this audition. So that was my, um, my uh, objective there. And so I came into New York City on the train from Baltimore, and I had the script, and I had sort of, you know, skim read it. And um, I also had my check for my camera, which I still hadn't bought. So I went to B&H first thing in the morning uh, with my with my check, and I bought the camera. And then I went over to Chelsea Studios, where the auditions were held for for this play, which I knew very little about. Uh, I didn't know where it was going to end up or, you know, where it was being produced. Um, as I say, I was just trying to hold on to the agent. <laughs> so I went into to the audition and, um, you know, long story short, uh, I, I booked the job and it was for, for the, the, the lead role in Quorum Boy on Broadway. And I hadn't, as I say, I hadn't, and it was my first professional audition. So, you know, it was quite a sh- it was kind of a shock. I was really overwhelmed, uh, but you know, went into into it uh, full full. What do you say? Um, full hog. Full gallop. That's amazing. Full gallop. Now the the show was a transfer from London, so and you hadn't heard much yes. about it from when it was over there. No, I hadn't heard anything about it. Um, no, it, it had been a sort of a busy time that year for me with, with family stuff, and I had been particularly out of it uh, when it came to, to West End, to Broadway transfers and things like that. Um, but I have to, the reason I included actually buying the camera that morning was because I, I had it in the bag at the side of the room when I went in for my audition. And I remember putting it down and thinking to myself, I don't need this audition because I have my camera now, so, you know, <laughs> this is, you know, this is no big deal, <laughs> which hence my very relaxed and calm <laughs> demeanor, I think, in the audition, um, which helped me a lot, probably, um, as it turned out. And I absolutely loved Coram Boy. I've got to step aside here and just say how much that play moved me. It's a beautiful piece of theater. What was it like creating these two characters? You played adolescent boys, uh, right, yeah. two different boys in Act One and Act Two. What went into creating these two characters in Act One, playing an educated young gentleman in training, in Act Two, an orphan looking for his family? What went into that? Well, I had to, I didn't really know where to, it started actually in the audition room, um, because I had to make some quick choices, as I hadn't, <laughs> to be honest, I thought I was only going in to read one character, um, and that was the first educated aristocrat, um, Alexander Ashbrook, who's age 14, and uh, so I, I, I went ahead and read for that role, and then the casting director said, can I hear the second one, and I said absolutely I had no idea there was turning around and headed into the corner of the room asking her for a minute just to to gather myself for the next read and I just flicked through the pages and it said seven-year-old orphan and I thought okay I have to make a quick choice here I'll be a puppy and so then from that they both grew and I stuck with 
I had, as luck would have it, also made a similar choice for the first role, which I had, it's funny you said gallop ahead, I had chosen to be a horse. And so I kept these these animal choices with me actually through the rehearsal process because they immediately separated the two in terms of, you know, energy and tempo, which is, you know, when you're playing two different characters in the same time and place, um, I... I always felt that that was, you know, a, a good way to differentiate between the two as a starting, you know, as a, as a place to start. So it was purely, um, you know, animal work, which I had been taught, you know, at the actor's studio. And uh, that just that just really carried me through and separated the boys enough that, you know, I had one tall, proud um, aristocrat and one, you know, fancy free fun loving um orphan who you know had no uh poise whatsoever so a puppy made complete sense excellent and yeah, from that you received from your broadway debut and apparently your professional acting debut i wasn't sure if that was your professional acting debut you got yeah. tony nomination drama desk nominations theater world award what was that whole experience like, especially dealing with trying to take care of your father in Baltimore at the same time as all of this is happening? Well, luckily for my mother, for me, my mother was um, my mother was taking care of my father in Baltimore. But um, you know, the emotional pull of them being there was quite heavy, and plus, uh, um, there was quite a risk that he would have a second stroke. So that was on my mind a lot. And honestly, um, Corin Boy was such a gift in that. I just had to get up and go to work every day um, so that I could pay my rent. And so it was really, um, that really sort of put things into perspective and emphasized the fact that, you know, it was, a, it was a job. And I think that actually helped me do it really well. Um, I know that, that may say, seem contradictory in that you could just show up and uh, deliver um, and not supersede if you're just doing a job. But uh, I guess the fact that I'm a perfectionist works in my favor in this one instance. And I just kept kept working at it and working at it because it gave me something to focus on. So I didn't have to, you know, because the emotional pull of what was going on at home was so, so big. Um, I just threw it all into the work. And plus, the, luckily, the role, the second role in particular, did demand that I um, had quite an emotional journey and is, it also focuses on being separated um, or actually being an orphan right but then being re re uh, reunited with my father at the end of the play so that was kind of uh, particularly fitting for my situation at that time and I was able to use everything I was feeling and again going back to my training um, at the actor's studio, I, I really just threw it all into the into the performance, and it it just it was a wonderful cathartic experience that worked out being just as much you know therapeutic for me as it was creatively um, fulfilling. So, if that answers your question, <laughs> it does. Yes. So after Corum Boy, you did several off Broadway shows. Can you talk a little bit about those? Yes, I did. Uh, I think right after that was uh, Leaves of Glass, Glass, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Um, <laughs> with or Origin Theatre Company, um, and it was the first time actually that I worked with the director Ludovica Villahauser, 
and um, and her brother Victor Villahaza and Ewan Morton um, from Taboo, and that was a really really wonderful experience. Um, and funny actually because Ewan and I discovered not to go off the tangent, but it's funny to mention that you and I Ewan and I discovered on that job that not only did we have the same agent, but that um, we had the both the same theatrical agent and we also had the same commercial agent and we were playing um the same role, male and female um counterpart of in, in Star Wars, the video game. <laughs> we were both playing <laughs> the Sith Inquisitor. I'm the female, he's the male version. And uh, that was really funny to, to discover because from then on, you know, we were recording that at the time, but we never knew, uh, because you'd arrive and the other actor session would usually be over and they'd have left the building. But then from then on, we stayed and hung out between sessions a little bit. Um, but so that, but Lisa Glass was, was a lot of fun. And um, I mean, we were working at, uh, I think it was, um, I think it was uh, Playwrights Horizons. Um, and it was my first experience doing something off Broadway in New York. And there, it, it was wonderful because there was, there was a lot less pressure than there had been for the Broadway um, adventure. Um, because, you know, when you're in a Broadway show, um, producers are coming in and, and, and talking to the cast, well, they did in this instance anyway, about how the show was doing, um, you know, from a monetary standpoint. And that would all, you know, put us under under your pressure because Coram Boy had to be a cost of 40 and it would cost a lot and it was one of the largest houses on Broadway which is the Imperial and it was hard for them to sustain so we constantly felt a lot of pressure um, the glass on the other hand was much much more relaxed and we were able to just have have fun and work you know work on this play of Philip Bridley that was um, again English but um, I was playing a Cockney pregnant, uh, eight month pregnant wife. Um, and it was it was a small role and a lot of fun. And uh yeah, I think that's all I can remember at this point. <laughs> <laughs> and not terribly long after that, uh you wound up stepping away from acting for a little while. I don't know that whole story, but uh from what you hinted in social media that it was something to do with another off-Broadway play that you had been in. Would you mind sharing that story? Oh yeah, was that was that um well, I have to ask you specifically. Did that did I say on social media which play that was? No, lots of different. Oh, I didn't. Okay. Um, well, for really, the reason I stepped—I didn't—I mean, I didn't consciously mean to step away per se. It's just that that day I bought my camera and went into rehearsals for Quorum Boy. Um, it just so happened that most of my classmates needed new headshots, so I, you know, would—I took their headshots and then, you know, the word spread slowly around the Broadway community. Um, you know that. Anthony also took headshots and you know friends would take my flyers and put them up in all these other Broadway houses and that business started to really take off for me so by the time I was on my I think third or fourth off-Broadway show um, my work as a photographer was just um, you know coming out the wazoo as it were and I was really really busy and it, it just took over before I knew it, it was funny, my agent was sending me more 
uh, headshot clients, I think, than he was auditions at the time. Um, so, and, you know, I was able to be completely in charge of what I was doing. I wasn't at the mercy of other people's schedules anymore. So it was a really fun little break, uh, which turned into, <laughs> into a sort of seven-year uh, commitment. Um, and I, before I knew it, I was running my own company and, you know, uh, but still getting to spend time with, with theater people every day. Um, so it was just scratching another itch, which I didn't even know needed to be scratched. But um, I had a really, really wonderful time. And uh, that's that's really how it, I think, how it came off um, as, as the pro- predominant thing in my world. Um, the specific Broadway show that um, I think that you're referring to was, or the off-Broadway show, sorry, was uh, C-Marks of the Irish Rep. Um, in which I was, it was a two-hander, and uh, it was it was an interesting experience. And I realised that, um, you know, as a woman in theatre uh, at that time, um, you know, I had the unfortunate experience of, uh, that reminded me that we we were we were in in a position that was, um, you know, secondary, as it were. Mm. Um, to the men in our business. Um, and there were various moments in which I was sort of taken advantage of and uh, did did speak up about it. And unfortunately, nothing was done, which was at the time, you know, a further reminder of of uh, how how little change that you know was coming about in this in this. I don't know how I can put it. How would you put it? <laughs> the industry, the uh, the milieu, the world. Uh, <laughs> yes, all of it. All but, of that. Yeah. We're, but uh, with regards specifically to, you know, battle of the sexes, as it were. Right. So um, th- then I really did step out um, intentionally that time. And I thought, you know, I... I I'm happy running my own company. I don't have to deal with any of this stuff. And if, if I'm complaining, sending a complaint to the top, um, it, it will be to me. So something will be done. <laughs> so I think, and uh, you know, that's, that that had never happened. I hadn't had any trouble. So, so I stepped out completely at that point. But, um, but I did miss it. You know, I did miss it. So, uh, so I came back. And. It- this was obviously well before the Me Too movement picked up steam, and now there are sessions being held at the public about parity, not parity productions, but about make equality and making sure that you know, women do feel safer and heard in this industry. Um, how do you feel about this change? I mean, is that part of your return? That, that people are now taking a, more of an, an initiative to hear women when they complain about situations like that. You know, it, pro- it is, and I don't think that consciously um, I thought about it, but subconsciously absolutely felt safer. Um, and you know, it was it was easier to come back. Um, you know, it's, it's <laughs> we've waited a long time for these changes. To, to come about Amen. and they are still right and they're still 
coming about. Um, and it's almost as if now we're, we're, we're living in the place of could be feeling perhaps concerned about the possible backlash of our, of our, um, uh, what, what do you say? Not development, but, um, the improvements, the, uh, yeah, yeah, the improvements and the change in the dynamic and how that, that shift affects our, you know, the behavior, particularly of any said, um, perpetrators or, or not, you know, or the more, the, the more dominant characters that may have been. Um, just also people, you know, how, how it affects everybody and how they will then now tiptoe, right, instead of tread. Um, it creates a really interesting environment, but I have to say it was, it was really, really noticeable to me when I worked on this recent production um, of Charlie's Waiting because such an effort was made um, you know, to respect the, the space, the physical space of the actor by the production team, by the director, everybody else. Actually, it was funny that those of us in the cast were constantly surprised by that um, and only pleasantly surprised. But it you know, sort of always being asked before where it touched on the shoulder or touched on the arm when, when the director is about to give us a direction, you know. You know, and they, they will say, may I touch you now? And, you know, always asking for permission first, which, of course, never happened before. Um, to the point that we would all find ourselves responding in a similar way. Well, of course, we're actors, we're in theatre. But, you know, <laughs> one mustn't be quite so blasé about it, and it is actually a, a really amazing step forward. Um, but it, it'll t- take some getting used to. And of course, I'm only glad, as I'm sure you are. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah, I really enjoyed Charlie's Waiting. That was very uh, an emotional, fascinating piece. What attracted you to it? Uh, did you get the script cold, or what was the, that whole experience like? Um, what attracted me was the writing. The writing was brilliant. Um, you know, I hadn't, I wasn't familiar with Melissa Annis's work, and I should actually uh, say at this point that her name is not Melissa. It's it's what is it? How should May Lisa? May Lisa, right? Yeah. I was saying it wrong all this time. I was oh, saying we all May- were. <laughs> Melissa. Okay. I know, I know. I didn't even find that out until our closing night. She- no. Oh, no. <laughs> she's okay. She's, she's endlessly charming and forgiving of everybody who misses her. But um, she, uh, you know, she's Welsh and, um, I mean, all slash British. And I had never worked... I knew that working on a new play with a playwright in the room meant that, that that would, you know, it would be that collaborative experience that you rarely get um, in any other theatrical production when it's not a new work um, because she was still shaping the script really around us. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so if things didn't, didn't jive, then she would, she would edit um, right there and then. And if not around the table in the first week of rehearsal, she would do it when we were on our feet. So that's really interesting to to work that way. And it is the re- I, I loved the idea of doing that because again, that is that is a large part of the focus of the training um, at the actor studio 
which is actor, playwright, director, all working together. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's so rare that that, get, that happens. But I had I had missed it. We did a lot of it at grad school, and I was um, eager to do it again. And so having Melissa in the room with us was was pretty phenomenal. I mean, she's um, you know whip smart and. You just you have to be 125 percent awake all day just to, to keep up. Um, so it was it was great. I knew it was going to stretch me, and I really needed to be stretched um, at that particular time. And I felt that it was it came along. It just sort of came along at a at a magical moment. Um, unfortunately, last uh, August, my father passed away, yes. and she, and this play just you know, it was amazing, actually. He he died, and one of the first things that came into my head was, um, oh, I have to act again. You know, um, I don't, you know, I wasn't, I didn't know how to process what I was going through. You know, grief is such a funny animal, and uh, you don't know which way it's going to take you next, and you just hold on for dear life. But that was one thing that kept kept uh, tapping me on the on the arm was was theatre. So, you know. Uh, Okay, I've got to go. I've got to do some acting. And that very same week, I received an email from Ludovica saying that we are going to start reading for this new play by Melissa, and I would love if you would look at it. And I did. I read it, and it was brilliant. It was not unlike anything I'd ever read, especially um, over here, where we do focus a lot uh, on the happy endings. <laughs> you know, this play doesn't doesn't go that way, and so it felt. Um, different and exciting and I knew that I would have to go deep and that's what I needed to do in that time um, following my father's death and it was it was really really helpful again cathartic and it's kind of amazing now I'm talking to you about it but <laughs> it's such a similar experience to Quorum Boy <laughs> so yeah to sort of yeah get on the stage same same kind of thing Amazing. And again, a story about families and crisis and that yeah. absolutely connects. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. So what was it like to come back to the stage? I know you'd been in a couple of readings before you uh, before you joined this team, but to be in a full fledged production again, what was that return like? And you said it was seven years that uh, since you had been yeah. in a full play. Yeah, it was. Wow. Um, yeah, it was. It was. Um, it was intimidating. I mean, it was exciting first and foremost, but it was it was intimidating. I mean, my two castmates, um, Stephanie Heitman and um, Amy Scanlon, had uh, you know they were they they're younger than me and they had they had been working and and all I was thinking was I just got to keep up with these guys. You know, I I don't want to mess up because I I've, I've got to essentially I had to carry this play I don't leave the stage but for right. a couple of minutes um, so the pressure was on and uh, you know luckily for me those two girls were so um, they were so good and uh, and also such generous actors that I was not only quickly reminded of what I had, you know, I just fell back into it. It was like riding a bike, which was wonderful. But I also, you know, they're a different generation. They were, I think they're about 10, five or 10 years 
younger, which is almost a different generation, right? And they were employing skills and techniques from their training, which had been completely different from mine. Um, so I was just able to really watch and learn and then, you know, use that for myself. And then we, you know, we just collaborated together and it was a really, really good learning experience for me. But it was, it was scary. Um, and, uh, and, uh, Melissa was also amazing at, uh, giving us, you know, she comes from a big, a big theatrical background. Um, you know, both her mother and her aunt are actors. And she's been in it her whole life. And she was a child star on television in, in Britain. So she, uh, she was wonderful to talk to. Uh, she's a very nurturing person and helped me a lot, actually find my feet so yeah I think there's a roundabout answer to a question no that's a great answer to the question so lamentably uh, Charlie's Waiting has ended its run but um, what is next Uh, do you have other readings coming up or other shows I do I do and nothing and and (laughs) that's annoying way nothing I can talk about at this moment no I know I know I know it's so annoying but I I am I will be sure to keep you updated as I always do on social media <laughs> when I'm allowed to. But at the moment, uh, yeah, I have to keep it quiet. But, you know, things are, things are, are bubbling in other parts, and it's really exciting. Um, it's mainly exciting just to be back in, in the community of theatre in New York um, because there's such, a, there's such a familial feel to that. And... Um, you know, I didn't know how much, how much I'd missed it. And as a result, also doing Charlie's Waiting, you know, people, friends who I worked with, for example, in Coron Boy and other things, have are now, you know, t- teaching and, and doing other things. And they're all kind of inviting me in to teach at their various schools, you know, like NYU and Columbia. And that's pretty amazing um, that all those friends that, have, that stuck at it um, have gone into that realm now. And are uh, you know putting out a hand and inviting me in to participate. That's really incredible. So I feel is, really, yeah, really welcomed yeah. back. It's lovely. Oh, yeah, that is lovely. Yes. And do, will you continue with photography, or do you Absolutely. think you're going to put that aside? No, you're going to no. Keep on I will. I will. Yeah, it's a good. It's a good. Uh, it's it's it, I don't think it's kind of funny that a, another freelance um job is my <laughs> it's my bread and butter, you know. Um but it is and it's something I love to do and you know, I it does it it, it is a one way I have managed to keep my foot um always in, you know, the the theatre world of New York. Um because I'm always in touch with all the actors. So I do no, I'm always aware of what's going on. And now those conversations that I have with them on my shoots are even more exciting because now the directors and writers say, well, since you're back, why don't we do something, you know? <laughs> so it becomes much nice. more of a sort of collaboration. Yeah, it's great. Wonderful. Thank you so much for talking with us and for telling your story. And uh, yeah, let me, can we get the exclusive when you can finally announce when you're coming back to the next show? Absolutely, yeah. Wonderful. I I, I called dibs on your first interview. Zancy, thank you so much for your time and for all your insights. This was great. Thank you.